Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge Podcast by MGR, your host David Gill here. I hope everybody is having a fantastic week. As always, I certainly am, and this week we have a decent amount of things to discuss. Uh, we're going to start off with Apple and uh, WWDC, their Worldwide Developer Conference. I'm not going to talk too much about it. I uh, had, had a little mental debate how much I should discuss it, but I thought, you know, it was on Monday. It, this show goes up on Fridays, so by the nature of things, uh, I've, I've found that a lot of the things that I've wanted to say have already been said quite a few times, so we're not going to talk too much about it, but we will go into it a bit, and then we're going to talk a little bit about uh, more streaming uh, wars and updates. I call it wars to be dramatic, but you know, it's just uh, competition. And uh, we're going to talk more about it HBO and Time Warner, what they are up to this week. If you listen to this show, you know I love the streaming battles. And then uh, we're going to talk about some Google antitrust and the YouTube censorship stuff that happened this week. Uh, so, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, by the way, real quick. Before we get into the show on our other podcast, MGR Unplugged, I was on this week for the MGR Book Club. So if you are into books, we uh, we discussed just books we're reading, books we're enjoying, and uh, yeah, just it was literally an MGR Book Club. And so uh, if you're a book lover or if you're someone who, uh, like many of us, have gotten out of that habit of reading books like we should and haven't been reading as much as we used to and you need some some inspiration some some book inspiration i like that book inspiration uh go listen to it mgr unplugged uh but yeah anyways i was on there so listen to that if you want to let's get into today's episode you ain't got no money i ain't got no time all these faces looking funny when i'm driving by all right, let's start off by talking Apple. So there were two things that I thought were the biggest uh, takeaways or long-term um, consequences, I guess you could say. The two things that had the most long-term consequences coming out of the event. Obviously, you know, everybody talked about the, the biggest thing was the Mac Pro, the $6,000 starting price for the computer, and if you want the monitor, it's $5,000. Oh, and you actually, wait, you want to stand for your monitor? You mean you're not just going to put it on a table? Oh, well, well, it's going to be another $1,000 for the stand. And everybody was going crazy about that. I think, as many have said, if they had simply just said that the monitor was 6000 and that when you were at checkout, it, you have the option of not buying with the monitor and it was 5000 that that would have been a much better way of saying than saying that we're going to charge you $1,000 for a stand because that was a little bit of a, uh, I don't know, I don't know, just people making fun of Apple and saying, why are you charging $1,000 for a stand? But that's that's what Apple does. So anyways, everybody talked about that, and then obviously as far as the features, you know, a lot of people were happy about iOS uh, dark mode and all that. So those were th interesting things, but I don't think that they're major things for the course of Apple as a company, uh, because the Mac Pro, um, you know, a $12,000 basically computer, if you include everything together, starting price, that's without any upgrades on the computer itself. 
you know, that's a very, very niche market. And uh, there's not too many people out there who are going to be buying that. And then as far as, you know, dark mode and other little features, you know, they're always adding different features, but that's just kind of their development cycle. That's not any major news to me. The two biggest things, the first one is the Apple Watch now has its own app store. Why does that matter? Well, Apple wants to sell watches to everyone. They used to, this was part of their plan, right? They wanted to sell watches. You could get an Apple Watch without having a phone, but it just, you know, didn't make a lot of sense. And now with an Apple, uh, with an app store isolated from the major, from the primary app store that's on the phone, uh, you can get an Apple Watch without needing an iPhone. Um, and their watch for their price range is arguably the best out there. I mean, Samsung has some good uh, options as well. And then I think, you know, Garmin has some decent watches. But overall, I would say Apple has uh, for the four or $500 price range. It's a it's a great watch. I have the newest, the Apple Watch uh, 4. I don't have it with the cellular because obviously I have an iPhone. So I didn't feel the need to get the cellular but you could get it with a cellular cellular plan now and you don't need anything you don't need a phone you don't need anything to connect to it you just have a cellular plan and you have your own app store now and basically they're doing just that they're separating the phone from the watch so that you can buy the watch by itself and it's its own device because they're trying to uh, kind of separate themselves from relying so much on the iPhone. And obviously, by opening up the watch to a broader market, it's a great product. And now they have a much larger customer base that they can go after and get more revenue from. Now, is the watch going to be as good of an experience on an Android, say, uh, or if you have an Android phone as it as opposed to if you have an iPhone? No, probably not. It's probably still going to be the best experience if you have an Apple Watch and an iPhone. And I think that will always be the case, obviously, because they want people to still buy iPhones. Uh, but they're still going to make a great product for people who even even if they don't have the iPhone. So uh, interesting there. I think that we'll see. We'll see how many people with, say, Androids or Samsung phones, uh, obviously, Obviously, Samsung runs Android, but people with non-Apple uh, phones buy the watch. I'd be very interested to see those numbers. Obviously, that's not always going to be easy to know exactly those numbers. I'm sure Apple is not going to report those, uh, but maybe someone could do some some calculations and uh, figure that out down the road as as they start selling them. So that'll be interesting. I will definitely play around with the new app store. They announced a bunch of new apps for the Apple Watch that uh, I will check out as well. But the other major thing, uh, I wouldn't say major, but the other decent uh, thing that they announced that a lot of people have talked about and a lot of people were excited about was the sign-in with Apple. If you don't know what I'm talking about, um, basically, Many apps and websites use the sign in with Google or sign in with Facebook. If you don't want to sign in, if you don't want to register for your full account, put all your information, uh, you don't feel like doing that, you just click sign in with Google. I know I use sign in with Google a lot um, just because it's very convenient. And now they're doing sign in with Apple, which is basically going to be the same thing, but it's, it's a another step that really pushes Apple further towards being the privacy focused tech company kind of separating themselves themselves from all the others. Um, and really, the bigger deal is that they're forcing 
all of the apps on the App Store that offer the third-party sign-in to now all also offer sign-in with Apple. So if you previously, uh, or if you're an app that uses sign-in with Google, now you have to have sign-in with Apple. That is kind of a big deal, right? They're forcing all of the app developers to now add this into their apps. And then obviously, you're going to have to add that onto your websites and everything because, you know, you're not always going to be signing in from your phone. If I'm signing in from a computer and I don't have sign in with Apple um, and I still want to sign into my account, I'm going to have to be able to. So it's going to be some development work for a lot of uh, people out there. But um, overall, I think this is kind of a brilliant move. And, and the other part of it was, I'm sorry, uh, they also made it so that basically when you do sign in with Apple, you're able to, it, they'll generate a fake email or a temporary email for you uh, on the spot so you don't have to actually give up all your information to sign in to the app. So basically, if you don't want to give all your information to an app to sign up, Apple is making it so that you don't have to. And so that's why I was saying it's more of a privacy focus push for them. And I think this is actually a little bit of a brilliant move for them because it definitely is going to make users happy, right? I'm happy. I think that's a good option. I'll probably be using it, especially for apps that I, you know, maybe I'm just trying out and don't necessarily know if I'm going to be using all that much. I don't want to have to sign up and make an account or give them all of my uh, information. But it also, in addition to making their users happy, it's going to make, it's going to hurt other companies it's going to hurt their rivals at the same time because obviously google and facebook are data machines and not only do they collect massive amounts of data through their own uh, apps and websites and services they also collect data through third-party apps with these offerings that's the biggest reason why they offer it is so that now they can see what you are doing on other apps not just their own and Apple is going to cut them off from a ton of people's data and what they're doing on other apps, which obviously Facebook and Google are not going to be happy about because that's how they make their money, by selling data and understanding exactly what you do at all times of the day. So overall, I think it was pretty smart by Apple to do so. Again, it's definitely shifting. They've been advertising about how they're such a great privacy company. They talk about it all the time. Tim Cook came out and he's given many speeches saying that uh, tech companies need to value privacy, all of these things. And now they're taking another step to kind of put their, their money where their mouth is and offering even more services to give people more privacy. Uh, again, we'll see how this plays out in the long run. But in the short term, I definitely think this is a brilliant move by Apple. So I definitely was... Uh, happy as an Apple customer to see that because it's a feature that I and I'm sure many, many others will be using. So that's all I've got really to say about uh, WWDC. Uh, I thought those were the two major things. Everything else, I think, feature-wise, uh, updates, all of that, uh, you can you can get from other sources. There's plenty of people who have already made tons of videos and podcasts and blog articles about all the new uh, features of iOS 13, what they like, what they don't like, all of that. So anyways, that's all I've got to say about that. All right, let's talk about the streaming wars, my favorite topic. So this week... Time Warner, AT&T decided to roll HBO, Cinemax, and Warner Brothers content into its own streaming service that they said will be $16 or $17 a month. 
So they were originally planning on having a uh, tiered system, apparently a tiered subscription system, probably something similar to Hulu, but then they decided to drop those plans and now they're basically saying, I mean, 16 or $17 a month, let's say 17 um, they've essentially said, I mean, HBO is already $15 a month. So they're saying for an extra two bucks a month, you can get access to Cinemax and all of the Warner Brother, Warner Brothers content library. Um, I think this is a classic example of like price anchoring on the consumer side that is affecting the uh, Time Warner executives' decision making here, um, because. You know, they probably want to charge more than $2 a month for Cinemax and Warner Brothers content. I'm going to guess that, right? I think that's pretty fair to say. They probably want to charge for, if they're going to combine these two things, at least $20 a month or more. But they can't because Netflix is only $13 a month. And for them to charge $20 a month versus Netflix is 13, I think the far majority of consumers would say, why would I pay that? Netflix actually has more content than what Warner Brothers and Cinemax are going to have. And it's a significant less significantly cheaper every month. And so you know, they could have a separate streaming service with Cinemax and Warner Brothers content uh, kind of together and then HBO stay its own thing. And maybe they charge say six or seven bucks a month for that so that they can get a little more money for it uh, but if you look at Disney Plus which I talked about a couple months ago when they announced it Disney Plus is going to be seven bucks a month and Disney Plus has a lot more to offer for seven bucks a month than what Cinemax and Warner Brothers combined have um, plus if you have two streaming services that just makes things more complicated and it's another subscription and in the mind of the consumer right if you already have say Netflix and Disney Plus and HBO and now you're going to get a fourth one in this Warner Brothers thing it's it's too much and it's 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 too convoluted so they rightly probably decided all right we're going to put these together with HBO, which is going to be the anchor. HBO obviously already has a ton of subscribers, and it's a very successful streaming service, so now they're just going to add this extra stuff. But for an extra $2 a month, that's really just kind of pitiful, honestly. And I'm sure that's why they were kind of going back and forth about how to price this whole thing out, but now they're just kind of saying, I mean, it could be even $16 a month. If you're an HBO subscriber, you add $1 to your subscription, and now you get Cinemax and all the Warner Brothers content. And Cinemax, I think, is not as um, important. I don't think very many people care about Cinemax. I think they have a few decent shows, but... Uh, you know, Warner Brothers has a decent, obviously, they've been around for, what, 100 years or more. Uh, they have a decent content library on their hands. So for an extra dollar a month, I'm sure it's worth it. A dollar or two a month is worth it for HBO subscribers. But, man, this is definitely a price anchoring thing. They're definitely, they're definitely hurt by Netflix being 13 a month. And they're super hurt by Disney Plus being 7 bucks a month. Because, I mean... $2 a month for all of that content is a bit ridiculous. And really, the problem is that even HBO at $15 a month, they're able to get away with it because they have anchor shows, you know, Game of Thrones and uh, Veep and all of these, a lot of bigger shows. But those two shows, for example, Game of Thrones and Veep, both just 
ended and HBO saw a lot of subscribers leave and cancel their subscriptions when Game of Thrones ended because that's the main thing people were subscribed for. Now they have other shows and they are always trying to come with their next big show and they've been pretty successful with that. You know, they had The Wire, they had The Sopranos, obviously Game of Thrones. They've had quite a few successful shows and then smaller shows also. Um, I They have another one that's uh, kind of doing well now i forget the name of it sorry i don't i don't i don't uh, watch too much hbo uh, i did watch veep that was a good show i'm sad that that ended but uh anyways um at 15 dollars a month it was already very premium especially because hbo doesn't have nearly the content that netflix has at 13 dollars a month um, but like i said because they have those those big shows that people are willing to pay for uh, people will subscribe. So now if you come with a $17 a month service, 17 bucks a month is getting up there. And I, I don't think that there's going to be a ton of people that are going to be jumping in to subscribe for it and to subscribe to it if they still don't have those HBO anchor shows. I think that's HBO is still going to be the main driver of this subscription package. And then it's going to be like, oh, yeah, and for an extra two bucks a month, you get all this stuff. So you might as well because it's you know, it's not that much, but that's why they couldn't charge 20 bucks a month because people would, I, I mean, every HBO subscriber would probably kick and scream if it was $20 a month, but then also, uh, it just, I don't think they would attract very many new subscribers at $20 a month or more. I mean, I'm sure they would charge 25 a month if they could, but obviously that's a lot, but 20, 20 bucks a month is pretty reasonable. Cinemax and all Warner Brother content library for $5 is pretty reasonable, but because they've decided to put these together and not have two separate streaming services, they really just can't charge that much more. And so this is a classic price anchoring situation where, uh, yeah, they're kind of getting hurt here. And it's a little pitiful that the entire Warner Brothers library is going to be worth maybe a dollar or two a month and that's it but hey that is the streaming content wars that's why i call them wars because uh it is very cutthroat and who knows maybe they'll drop the subscription service eventually and decide just to license their content if that becomes more economical if they say for two dollars a month we can probably make more from licensing our content to the Netflixes and uh, Disney's and all of them, rather than trying to just add it on for an extra little subscription to HBO. So we'll see what they decide to do. But a little pitiful. That was that was kind of uh, sad reading that uh, Wall Street Journal story. All right, and finally we've got the Google antitrust uh, bomb that dropped on Monday, and then we've also got. Later in this week, the very same week that they're being investigated for antitrust, they have this YouTube censorship fiasco that took place. And uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I will explain both. I think most people did hear about the uh, Google, the Department of Investigation, or I'm sorry, the Department of Justice is preparing an investigation uh, of antitrust into Google. Um, they're going to be primarily looking at is Google taking actions that harm the consumer? And in the US, that is pretty much always looked at as are they price gouging? Because uh, that's kind of how the monopolies started. I've discussed this before. But you know, back in the days, Rockefeller would uh, buy up all the com comp competitive oil companies, all the smaller oil companies in an area, 
so that he owned all of them. He would either put them out of business or buy them out. He put them out of business by dropping prices super low so they couldn't compete, or he would just buy them and then he would jack up the prices. And so that's why, uh, that's what the Department of Justice does not want to happen. But in the modern era, uh, in this tech era where all the services are free, they don't really have a case for that, obviously. Google provides a tremendous amount of value through all of their services. They provide free mail with Gmail. Obviously, they provide a great search engine with Google.com itself. They provide Google Docs and Sheets and all of this suite of products for free. So there's never been a case of taking advantage of the consumer in that price sense because everything they provide is free. So you have to look at it from another way. And that's why I said it's going to be more from the angle of how are they harming the consumer? And what other ways could you harm the consumer? And really the two biggest ways are how are they are they infringing on people's privacy rights? And I say rights hesitantly because in the US there isn't a uh, you know, there there is no amendment that gives people the right to privacy. It's kind of more of what you call an implied right. Uh, but how far does that go? And how responsible are people if they sign the terms of service, right? You are signing a contract agreeing to these things. So and how responsible are people? Do they are they people actually responsible to read the terms of service? Well, Yes, I mean, it is a contract at the end of the day. You wouldn't sign a contract or you're not supposed to sign a contract without reading it. But anyways, it's kind of you get into that debate. Um, and so there's the privacy side. And then there's also the censorship side. And that is why the timing of this uh, YouTube purge that happened this week was so disastrous, in my opinion. Uh, you know, that's the other big way that Google could get uh, regulated is because, you know, the idea of a mega corporation like Google deciding who and does who does and does not get a voice in the modern world is something that the Department of Justice is not going to be very fond of. So to back up for a second, basically what happened this week on YouTube was um, Carlos Maza, a uh, journalist and um, content creator he makes like videos for vox um on the vox youtube channel went on twitter to kind of he went on like a little twitter uh tangent th uh, thread whatever you want to call it um to basically say that he was very upset um, with youtube because they weren't taking action against another youtube creator by the name of Steven Crowder. Uh, Steven Crowder, he's a, if you don't know who he is, he's a YouTube host. I think he has over 3 million subscribers um, and he leans very right. He's basically a conservative YouTube channel. And Carlos Maza with Vox, you know, Vox, they say they're neutral, but let's be honest, they lean left. I think it's pretty obvious. And Carlos Maza definitely leans left. I think he's very open about that. Um, but basically, uh, Steven Crowder made a lot of videos that would rebut uh, Carlos Maza's uh, Vox videos because Carlos, you know, they Vox makes a lot of these, uh, you know, explainer videos where they try to explain things about political problems and issues, whatever. But obviously, uh, they put a lot of opinion in it too, and that's kind of the problem a lot of people have with them. Uh, but Carlos Maza 
basically he is gay and Steven Crowder would make videos rebutting Carlos Maza's um, Vox videos and in them he would a lot of times make gay jokes and things like that uh, and so that was the problem that Carlos Maza had and he was saying that this was harassment and that they were that basically YouTube should take action against Steven Crowder and so then basically so that's what happened on Twitter so he kind of went on this and then obviously there's people on both sides uh, supporting or not supporting Carlos Maza but basically YouTube responded on Twitter at first by saying that Crowder did not break any of their rules, any of their terms of service, um, basically saying, you know, you are allowed to insult people on YouTube. You know, there's plenty of uh, half of comedy is insulting people, half of late night uh, television is insulting people, right? So it's not necessarily against YouTube's policies to insult people. And so that was kind of their response. You're, he didn't break any of our rules, so we're not going to take any action. Then, later, I think it was a few hours later, they kind of changed their mind, and then they said, uh, actually, we're going to demonetize him. Uh, Steven Crowder broke our rules, and now he's not allowed to make money from uh, ads on his YouTube channel, so we're going to demonetize him, which kind of you know put a lot of people uh, questioning, like, okay, so just a few hours ago you said he's not in the wrong and now you're saying he is and he's no longer allowed to make money from his videos on YouTube, at least through ads. Obviously, they have other uh, monetization methods besides just making money from ads, but like selling merchandise, things like that. Um, but as far as the Google ads, the ads that played before the videos and all that, they're not allowed to have those anymore. And so then the problem with this was it kind of sent a wave of demonetization onto a bunch of other channels that before weren't that that weren't even involved in this thing at all that then got demonetized because they had kind of insulting content but that is very generic um as I said, you know, I mean, late night hosts, half of their shows are just insulting politicians. Uh, and same with any comedian or just lots of shows. There's plenty of content out there that is going to be insulting to people. And listen, I'm not saying that uh, Steven Crowder is in the right or anything like that. Uh, I, I saw some of the jokes and I thought a lot of them were uh, distasteful for sure. Um, but again, I don't know that that means that he should now be censored or stopped from making money on YouTube. And the bigger problem with this, and I'm not trying to take sides here, I just want to basically say to kind of relate this back to the Google antitrust case is that in the wake of the Department of Justice saying that they're going to prepare an investigation into how Google could be harming the consumer and harming the public in various ways that they have this wave of demonetization that affects a bunch of channels that were not a f not involved in this at all but had some form of insulting content on it and then they got demonetized uh, the, pr the problem is what is that you're now going against your own terms of service if you're YouTube and the lines of what is and what isn't allowed are just getting very, very blurry. And again, like I said, you have this mega corporation that is now deciding what is and isn't allowed to be said online and on these major platforms. And that is something that the Department of Justice is probably not going to like, you know, especially in the U.S. We are very pro-free speech country and we have a very hard <clears throat> hard stance 
on completely free speech, even if it hurts people's feelings, even if it uh, can be offensive. And so I just think that this was a major, major screw up on YouTube's part to do this just days after the Department of Justice says that they're going to be investigating Google for antitrust and for how they are harming how they could be harming consumers. And I guarantee you, this is going to be uh, on top of their minds. And and even this really hasn't even been resolved because YouTube kind of did all of this and Carlos Mazo and uh, people on his side were not happy with the results saying that further action should still be taken, that demonetization isn't enough. All of these creators that got demonetized were like, what What the heck? We weren't even involved in this. Why are we being affected now? Um, and then obviously on the Steven Crowder side, it's saying, what, we're not allowed to insult now? So are you going to start demonetizing SNL and Late Night and all these people who make jokes and insult people all the time? Uh, so it's just very, very blurry lines. This definitely doesn't help the case that a lot of people say that uh, YouTube leans left in their policies and definitely is anti-conservative. So the Republicans are not going to be very helpful to YouTube or Google. And then obviously on the Democrat side, they're always looking to break up big business or at least regulate big business. So this is just overall very much a disaster, I think, for YouTube and Google for this to happen in the same week. Um, and I just think they really need to get their uh, stuff together. I don't want to cuss because I don't want to make this an explicit podcast, but uh, I don't want to put the E on the podcast, but they really need to get their stuff together here. Anyways, that was my opinion on that. We'll see what happens with the investigation. Obviously, I can't predict these things. These things are not quick either. It's going to take a long time and it, they're just preparing. They haven't even actually begun an investigation yet, although I think it's, I think it's very, very likely. I'd be interested to see what any of you guys have to say about all of this. Uh, the best way is Twitter, I've found, because there's not really a great comment system with podcasting. So just hit us up on Twitter, and I'd be glad to discuss. Anyways, guys, thank you so much for listening today. Um, by the way, or by the way, uh, I, I meant to say also, uh, remember to listen to the episode of MGR Unplugged, MGR Book Club, if you are interested. And as always, you know, share this episode with someone who you think would also enjoy. It really helps us out and helps us grow the podcast. Anyways, thank you so much for listening, guys. I will see you next week.